You're listening to Sunday Worship at Weddington Methodist Church. Find more ways to worship, fellowship, serve, study, and be supported at WeddingtonChurch.org. I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 1, as we read that Palm Sunday scripture of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 1, where Matthew writes, When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And crowds went ahead of him, and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for this opportunity now to study it together. And God, as I stand before these, your people, this is your church. So I pray that this will be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Palm Sunday, that holy time when Jesus has now arrived to Jerusalem. It's been a journey, and we've been going the last several weeks in the season of Lent, walking with Jesus closer and closer to Jerusalem. He knew what was there. He knew what would happen. And yet Jesus, for some reason, so loved you and so loved me that he kept going to Jerusalem, and now it was time. He had reached the village, which is just over the Mount of Olives, and he had the donkey and the colt of a donkey, and the disciples put their cloaks on it, and they then topped the hill of the Mount of Olives. It's a beautiful image. When you top the hill of the Mount of Olives, you're able to look down, see the Garden of Gethsemane. Then there's the Kidron Valley at the bottom. You start going up, and wow, there is the beautiful city of Jerusalem. I wonder what Jesus was thinking when he saw that city. It's an amazing view, but Jesus also knew there was a cross in that city that had his name on it. 
as he starts arriving, it's fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah that the king would come humble and riding on a donkey. If a king had come riding in on a horse, on a stallion, that could be perceived as a sign of war. It could be perceived as a threat. But when a visiting king would come in on a donkey, it was a sign of peace. Jesus coming down the hill of the Mount of Olives, crossing the Kidron Valley, going into Jerusalem, with people taking their cloaks and laying them down on the ground. Now, that had been done before. Actually, if you turn back in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 9, you'll see the scripture when Jehu had been anointed as the king of Israel and he is there riding into town. People are laying their cloaks down before him. It's a sign of respect and honor. You have to remember, these are not people that had multiple cloaks. They're taking everything they have, what's precious to them, placing it on the ground for a king. And now they're doing it again as Jesus comes riding into town. Others were taking palm branches from the trees, and some were waving those branches. Others were laying them down on the ground. Palm branches were signs of Jewish nationalism. It would be like us waving little American flags. It was a sign, you're the king, you're the king, here is our king. With the laying down of the cloaks and the waving of the palm branches, a statement was being made, we know who you are, you're the king, you're God's king. This had happened a couple hundred years ago as well with Judas Maccabeus when he had come into town after defeating the enemy, people waving the palm branches. Well, this was very symbolic. This meant something really important. And they cried out, Hosanna. Hosanna means save us. Save us now. They're recognizing as well, save us, son of David. Hosanna, son of David. And the prophecies had been that God would send his Messiah, God's king would come as in the line, the lineage of David. Oh, when you put it all together, they're beginning to shout, Hosanna, the cloaks, the palm branches, riding in on a donkey, the pieces of the puzzle, they're coming together to where when Jesus arrives in the city, we're told that the city was in turmoil. There was a, a roar in the city. And people were asking, who is this? Who is this? Well, that's a powerful question. The crowds, they were saying, this is a prophet. This is the prophet Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth from up in Galilee. That's who this is. But the disciples, the disciples knew better. The disciples knew exactly who Jesus was. Who is this? It's an important question in the Gospel of Matthew. All four of the Gospel writers kind of have a different reason that they write the way they do. They tell the same story of Jesus, and yet they tell it differently because they're writing to different groups. They're trying to make different points. And Matthew, Matthew will quote the Old Testament more than any other of the Gospel writers. And Matthew is trying to make sure we know this is the Messiah. This is God's King. 
This is God as prophesied through the Old Testament. Do you know who this is? Matthew is trying to answer that question. It's no wonder then he tells us the story. It's Matthew who tells us that it's the city asking, who is this? Because Matthew has been trying to answer that question in his entire gospel. For example, when Matthew told us the story of the birth of Jesus, when he told us the story of the angel appearing to Joseph, announcing the birth of Jesus, so the coming of the Christ child, one of the things that we hear is that the angel will say, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 1, it's the first chapter. And then he will go on to say, look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is God. This baby is God. The baby who is now riding the donkey into Jerusalem is God. In case we missed it, at Jesus' baptism, Matthew will tell us the story again, how Jesus, when He's coming up out of the water, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, when He's coming up out of the water, we will see that all of a sudden the heavens open up, the Spirit of God descends in bodily form like a dove, lights on Jesus, and a voice from heaven will say, this, this. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The city was asking the question, who is this? And God had said, this, this is my son. Peter, we love the profession of Peter. Matthew's the one who tells us beautifully the story. Others do as well. But Matthew gives us the beautiful image of where when Jesus is in the district of Caesarea Philippi, where there's so much demonic and other things around, that Jesus asked the disciples, who do the people say that I am? Who do they think I am? Some of them began to answer, well, we've heard that you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're a prophet. They give various answers. And then Jesus asked the important question, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter. Peter who speaks up and said, I know who you are. You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus blessed him, said, blessed are you, Simon, the son of Jonah. No human being told you this. God obviously has revealed this to you. And I'm changing your name from Simon to Petros, little rock. And on this Petra, this big rock, this faith, this understanding of who I am as the Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The crowds in the city of Jerusalem were asking in turmoil, who is this? The disciples knew. Peter knew. He had proclaimed, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God, the Son of the living God. And His name had been changed. We know who you are. 
Matthew also tells us, as we referred last week, to the transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, where Jesus and Peter, James and John had gone up onto the mountain, and Jesus then becomes dazzling white with his clothes, and his face begins to shine. They get an image of his glory. You see Moses there, the law, Elijah, the prophets there. They're talking to Jesus about what's going to be happening And then the heavens open as a cloud surrounds the mountain. And the voice of God once again says, This is my Son, the Beloved. With Him I am well pleased. Who is this? It's an important question that we hear in the story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday with people laying down their cloaks and others waving branches. But the real question is, do you, do you know who it is? Are you just kind of caught up in the motions? Or do you know who this is? Who is this? And unfortunately, in the church today, it doesn't seem like we all agree anymore. You would think that we would, that the answer was given when Jesus asked, Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who you are. And Jesus said, It's on that faith that I will build my church. But just this past fall, one who was running for bishop in the United Methodist Church was asked the question. The question was, if Jesus is the foundation, if, if Jesus is the foundation of the body, is it important that we agree on who Jesus is? And the answer to the candidate who was running for bishop and then got elected bishop was, mm, no, no, it is not important that we agree on who Christ is. Wow. Jesus seemed to think that it was. Matthew seemed to think that it was. God seemed to think that it was. And the bishop went on then to say, God became flesh, but not particular flesh. There's no particularity around that. God became incarnate in a culture, but not one culture, whatever that may mean, It's kind of hard to fathom what that means and what that means when we can't answer the question, who who is this? Who is this? Peter, the very one who answered the question in Matthew 16, in Acts chapter 4, with the beginning of the church after the ascension of Jesus, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit as he's preaching the good news, the gospel, the message of Jesus the Christ. And he says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, There is salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Now, that's an interesting scripture, and some people in the church world today struggle with that verse. N.T. Wright, who's an amazing theologian, you've heard me mention him before. He was a bishop in the Church of England. He was the bishop of Durham in Durham, England, and he was trained at Oxford, taught at St. Andrews uh, in Scotland, now back at Oxford, where he's a professor again. But N.T. Wright puts it this way. He said, all this gives reason to ask rather carefully, 
just why it is that Acts 4.12, scripture I just read, has been so unpopular within the politically correct climate of the last few generations in the Western world. No other name. People say this is arrogant or exclusive or triumphalist. So indeed it can be if Christians use the name of Jesus to further their own power or prestige. But he goes on to say, but for many years now in the Western world at least, the boot has been on the other foot. It's the secularist and the relativist who've acted the part of the chief priest, protecting their cherished temple of modernist thought within which there can be no mention of resurrection, no naming of a name like that of Jesus. And the apostles in any case would answer, who else is there that can rescue people in this fashion? Matthew tells us the city was in turmoil and people were asking, who is this? The Apostle Paul will remind us of who this is in Philippians chapter 2, a scripture that I share with you often where he said, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is interesting, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the people were asking the question, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is just the prophet Jesus from Nazareth up in Galilee. But the disciples knew better. The church knew better. We know better. Romans 1 verse 3, Paul says, "...the gospel concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be Son of God, with power according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead." Jesus Christ, our Lord. If we don't know who Jesus is, if we're part of the crowd who's asking the question as we celebrate Palm Sunday, as Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem, if we're part of the crowd going, who is this? Palm Sunday will mean nothing to us. Holy Thursday when Jesus will gather with His disciples in the upper room and share, this is my body which is given for you, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for you, if we, if we don't know who Jesus is, this will mean little to nothing. Nothing. 
on Good Friday at 9 o'clock in the morning, when they place Jesus on the cross, if we don't know who that is, it'll be something we feel bad about. It'll be a pity and a shame, a martyr for what he believed. But it won't mean the same. When the sky turns dark at noon, when God can't bear to watch anymore, we won't fully get it. At three o'clock, when Jesus will cry out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when he breathes his last, when he dies on the cross, if we don't know who that is, it really just will not mean much. We can shake our heads. But what a shame, what a pity. What a powerful story. I admire someone who's willing to die for what they believe, but we'll miss it. We'll miss what God is doing. If we're part of the crowds going, who is this? And we fully have it embraced. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. When we hear of a resurrection, it'll sound like a myth, a superstitious story, something symbolic and metaphorical rather than something that can change the world. If we are part of the crowd who's going, who is this? We will miss what it means when Jesus looks in our eyes like He did the eyes of Nicodemus and says to you, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, so that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Who is this? This is God on the cross. This is God at the table. And this is a God who so loved you that He rode into Jerusalem knowing that the cross was there. But God rode into Jerusalem so that He could save you. No wonder then, Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. We know who Jesus is. Today, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem and the crowds are asking, Who is this? And our world today is asking, who is this? Sadly, many in the church today are asking, Who is this? Let us boldly proclaim, This, this is the Christ, the Son of the living God.